Our sermon passage this morning is in the book of Isaiah. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 9, right there close to the beginning. Looking at the first seven verses. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when, the, when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, A child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth. And forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Our Father and our God, uh, as we come before you as your people, knowing your grace and your mercy, given a, a love for your word, Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to our hearts, to us as one congregation, but also many individuals. Lord, speak as you know we need to hear. Give us peace in our heart. Challenge us where we are walking away from you and give us courage for the days ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Well, how do you deal with change? I don't love change. Do you love change? What do you do when your life feels unstable, not just changing, but when, when it feels like the ground that your feet are walking on is unstable. Life's felt pretty unstable for me, and I suspect for many of us over the last couple of years. Is that right? Amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, right? COVID has made everyone afraid, cut us off from family and friends. But the news we've received, the instructions we've been given, sometimes it's been contradictory, sometimes it's been uh, confusing and frustrating. Uh, We didn't know what to do. People started to make different decisions. People began to argue. And also with that cutting off of one another, people left jobs. There was, uh, you know, there's been news reports of more people quitting their job over the last Uh, two years than in in years ahead. Violence in schools, like class uh, fights, have gone up. We see this even in our own kids' schools. 
that, that they don't know why exactly, but some effect of virtual learning and isolation is, is now, even after almost uh, months of, of in-school togetherness, um, we're not even sure what the effects of COVID will be. Life has just felt very uncertain. People have, have moved. They've changed churches. Uh, every aspect of life seems uncertain. And, and actions people are taking, they don't make sense, right? Have you, how many things have you read or heard about even in your own life or on the news? You're just like, what is with everyone, right? I mean, I'm making the right decisions. These people, who knows what they're doing, right? And uh, families with kids in school, it's been very stressful we wonder what this time of virtual schooling, how it will affect our children if we don't murder them first, right? There's, a, there's some tension there. Um, yeah, everyone seems on, on the edge, on the verge of a breakdown or lashing out, right? Life feels very uncertain. So how do you deal with that uncertainty? What does it look like in your own life? What difference does your faith make in an uncertain world, when you feel out of control, right? It's natural, it's a good thing to desire uh, stability and security and to seek it out. But often when we feel out of control, we can make poor choices, right? Who can relate to this? Sometimes we, we drink a little bit more, we, we eat a little bit more, we may be a little bit more short-tempered with our spouses or our children or the dog, we can see the effects of the stress that we, we keep under wraps. Feeling out of control is something God's people have dealt with for forever, right? As long as there are scriptures um, recording history. And yet I wonder sometimes if it's harder today for us because of the technology we have at our fingertips and we live in a culture that tells us we should be in control I'm still sort of, uh, I'm always, I always kind of bump against when, when something bad happens and the politicians or the, the powers that be, they say, we're going we're gonna to investigate this to make sure this never happens again. And they want to give comfort to people, and yet what they are expressing is something beyond human ability to control the future, to control the world. A few, you know, not that many years ago, a hundred years ago, it took weeks, if not months, to send communication, a letter to loved ones far away. Today, you can take out your cell phone and make a video call on the other side of the world in under a minute. Isn't that incredible? And yet it communicates to us that maybe we really have mastered the world. Maybe we are masters of the universe. You see, the more we believe we should be able to do something, and the more we're told we should be able to do something, the more frustrated and angry we become when we realize that we can't. And I see that frustration, I see that anger in myself, that feeling of guilt. I see this a lot in parents. Like, oh, I feel like the world is out of control. I feel like my kids are being affected, and I'm just so angry because I can't protect them how I would want to. We feel guilty, we feel fear, we feel anger at this lack of control that we think we should have. I love this quote from Scott Erickson in that, that Advent devotional I was telling you earlier. He says, Floss, 
put on sunscreen and start saving for retirement. These are the trinity of yeses you should be making. But none of us are in control of this weekend's weather forecast. The callback from that great first date, our teenagers, teenage kids' choices, amen? Teenage parents, parents of teenagers. Let's just camp out here for a minute. Let's just, no. Uh, That bald spot or that crease on your forehead that's forming, our job security, None of us is in control of any of this, and, and of course, that inevitable future. Yes, I'm talking about that 100% death rate for humankind. None of us are in control over this ultimate future. Can you relate with me? Can you relate with these feelings? Am I just doing a, a self-counseling up here? No? You, you feel these things? Well, not surprisingly, the Scriptures have a lot to say about this. In our passage, God is speaking to his people in a very uncertain time through the prophet Isaiah. I wish we had time to go back to to chapter 8, right? We're looking at Isaiah chapter 9 because chapter 8 sets up chapter 9 and it's uh, God is telling his people that because they have turned their back on him, because they have put their faith in themselves, their own military power, their alliances with their neighboring nations, that he is, he is sending them into exile through the Assyrians and the Babylonians, these, these growing powerful nations around them. Uh, but then uh, the Lord says in, in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, but there will be no gloom for, who, for her who was in anguish. He's talking about Israel here. Israel who had found herself in anguish from turning away from the Lord. He's making a promise of the future. He said, In the former time, he, God, brought contempt to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way to the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. You see, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And what he's saying is that these regions of Israel, if you you know much about Israel, the Old Testament and the history of Israel, there were 12, uh, 12 tribes, and God, when he brought them into the promised land, he divided it up among the 12 tribes, two of which are Naphtali and Zebulun. Uh, and he's saying that these are the places, Zebulun and Naphtali, this northern region of Israel, this is where the Assyrians are going to come in first. This is where darkness will spread across the nation of Israel God has uh, brought them into contempt uh, for turning their back on him. But it's those very people that now he says he is bringing his light. Notice, too, he's talking about in the prophetic past. If you're, if you're paying attention, he's, he's talking about the future as if it had already taken place place in the past. In the former time, he brought contempt to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. That actually hasn't happened yet when when Isaiah says this. In the future, Assyria and Babylon will come. But he is promising that God's light of grace and redemption will come after this time of darkness. In fact, if if you were paying attention in the Micah passage earlier in the remembrance of the law, that's exactly what that promise is there, that after a time, God's light would shine through the coming of the Messiah. He will return to them with grace and salvation. Light will dawn in the darkness. Verse 2, he continues, those who walked in darkness will see a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. These are God's people who've been walking in darkness. Both the faithful Israelites and the unfaithful Israelites have 
been walking in a time of exile, when, they've been, when they were pulled away from their homeland, away from the temple, God's presence, and they were placed under the thumb of other kings and ruling authorities. It made them wonder about God's promises about King David and those who would sit on David's throne. They thought they were the light to the nations. And yet now they are plunged into the darkness. But God says, even before that darkness comes, notice the care of God for his people. Before the darkness comes, before the Assyrians come, God speaks to them and he says, after a time, I will bring the light. I will bring grace and I will bring salvation. There's nothing, nothing that Israel will do to earn or deserve God's grace. And yet God promises it beforehand. God is speaking to his people through Isaiah beforehand, and he's saying, I will not leave you in darkness forever, but, I'm, but my love for you will never end, and my grace will dawn on you like light in the darkness. What he's saying is, though you walk in darkness, I am not leaving you. I will not forsake you. So what will you choose? What will we choose to believe when we feel out of control, beloved, and walking in the dark? Will we, as God's people often do, seek to take matters into our own hands and turn away from the Lord, or will we remain faithful and trusting? I think that's the question before us today and all these days and into the future. I love the way uh, Alec Motier comments on this verse. He says, as always, the people of God must decide what reading of their experiences they will live by. Are they to look at the darkness, the hopelessness, the dreams shattered, and conclude that God has forgotten them? Or are they to recall his past mercies, to remember his present promises, and to make great affirmations of faith? Notice this. He says, the darkness is true. There is real pain and suffering coming to Israel. It is sad that exile is coming, but it is not the whole truth and certainly not the fundamental truth of their identity. Brothers and sisters, our Christian faith is strong enough to hold the darkness as well as hold the promise of real light in the future. Let's not pass by that too quickly. Our faith is strong enough to hold the darkness. God's people throughout history have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And so as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, either as a congregation or as individuals or as the church at large, we have a history. We have a God who has gone before us and a people that have gone before us. We have a precedence. And that is comforting because the danger is when we put our faith, when we are tempted in the darkness, to put our faith in individuals or in earthly powers to make ourselves feel safe and stable rather than in the Lord. And that is before us, brothers and sisters. Will we put our faith in earthly powers, in political powers, in false prophets, in those who say, simply follow me, simply do X, Y, or Z, and you will be safe. No, the Lord alone is our safety. All right, he continues in verses 3 through 5. He said, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of harvest. 
They are glad, they, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. This is God's promise to expand his love, to expand the nation of Israel. This, this was foggy until Jesus' own ministry, and even after Jesus' ministry, that God's heart wasn't just for Israel, but it was for the world, it was for the nations. And through Israel, all the nations of the world would be blessed. God's kingdom would expand beyond the national boundaries of Israel. And you see, as God's people grows, so grows joy. Because the population of those who know the Lord, who know the mercy and love of the Lord grows. And so as the nations stream to worship Israel's God, it will be like the bringing in of a great harvest. Or the gathering in of the spoils from a great victory. Beloved, God's heart is for the nations, for those who do not yet know Him. And so as we, who, on whom the light has dawned, right, though we walk in darkness, we are walking toward the light, it's important for us to remember that there are those around us, our neighbors, our family members, co-workers and friends, our non-Christian uh, friends who, who are still walking in darkness. And don't know the light. And so we need to see God's heart, the same heart that called us to himself, that allowed that light to dawn in our own hearts. He may be working through you for light to dawn in the lives of the people around you who do not yet know him, as, as Bill prayed in our prayers of the people. May we have God's heart for the lost. Uh, as we seek and follow after the light. All right, in verse 4, these are echoes of the Exodus. He says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor you've broken as on the day of Midian. Uh, the reference here to Midian is, is referencing back to the story in the book of Judges. That's an incredible book. Uh, if you've never read it. And it's talking about the judge Gideon, who God calls to himself. And I love Gideon, though the ending of his story is not great. The beginning of his story is incredible. He had such little faith in himself, in his own power. God says, yes, Gideon, that's why I'm coming to you, because you have no power, you have no prowess, but through you I'm going to save Israel. And that's exactly what he does. And if you read that story, you see that God takes meticulous uh, detail to show that he is the one saving his people from the Midianites, just like the Exodus. And we preached through Exodus last, uh, earlier this year and part of last year. What do you see in the Exodus? God's people are oppressed in slavery by this incredibly powerful nation of Egypt. And yet God comes in and through the ten plagues and through the Red Sea, God destroys this powerful nation and sets God's people, Israel, free through no work or power of their own. And this is an incredible relief to us, brothers and sisters, what we hear God saying through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, and it speaks against our need for control. Our need for salvation is not of our own making. If you're a Christian, you know that you were not saved from anything you did, right? God came to you, whether it was through a preached sermon or a friend or, or some other way you heard the gospel and you responded, yes, I need God's salvation. 
and God gives it to us freely. But it doesn't end there. God's power, presence, provision, promises, they continue throughout our life, and they are, you know, what we began in faith doesn't turn to works, Paul says. And so our security for the future in an uncertain time still rests in the hands of the Lord. And and I want you to see that that's exactly what God is promising here. God is the one breaking the rod of burden. God is the one bringing salvation. So as we wait in this uncertain time, what are we to do? We are tempted to get ourselves out of it, to leverage the power, the relationships, the influence we have. And sometimes those things are fine, but you've got to ask yourself, am I trusting the Lord? Am I being motivated by fear? Or am I being motivated by faith? These are important questions for us as we seek safety, rest, and peace. In chapter 8, God speaks to Isaiah and he says, Do not call conspiracy all that his, this people, and he's talking about Israel, call conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary. I feel like these words could could be spoken this day and be incredibly applicable. There is so much going on in the world around us, so much to fear, so many conspiracies being spouted around us. And yet the Lord says, don't listen to them. Fear me. Consider me holy and more powerful than any of the rest of the things going on in this world. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Meaning put your trust in him. Look at him rather than these other things. And guess what? He will be your sanctuary, your safe place. All right, verse 5, he continues. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned for fuel in the fire. This vivid language is to say to Israel, when I come, your wars will cease. I will bring peace to the earth. When the day of the Lord finally arrives, war for his people will turn be turned to peace. Anything combustible from the time of warfare will just be thrown into the fire because that's all it's good for. It's not needed anymore. This is God's eschatological promise of peace. And it's akin to that beautiful verse at the end of the book of Revelation when the new heavens and the new earth come down and they are united as a bride meeting her bridegroom. God will wipe away every tear from the eyes of his people and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. You see, God continues to make this promise again and again. Yes, I know that you walk in darkness. I know you walk about in a time of war. And yet put your trust in me, because there is coming a day when all of that war will be behind you. Then we come uh, to verse 6 and 7. And this is the final promise on which all of the rest of this hinges. It says, uh, For to us a child is born, and for to us us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Uh, How will they know (laughs) that these promises to them are being fulfilled? Well, God tells them one simple thing. A child will be born. A son will be given. Before he does anything, this is the sign. This is a sign to you. This child's birth, the birth of the Messiah. And all the rest of these promises will simply happen because of the zeal, the passion of the Lord himself. For his kingdom will come and it will grow forever and he will rule unlike any other human ruler before him. And that's because he's not like any other human ruler before him. You know, we puzzle over this promise, and and I wonder, what did Israel think about this promise? What will this child be called, this, this king, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace? How did they puzzle over those things? These are divine names, divine gifts, and yet it is a human who is born. And of course, afterward, we know that this is the promise of the God-man, Jesus Christ. He will rule with divine qualities of wisdom and love, justice, and righteousness. And so, for years and generations following this prophecy, God's people walked in darkness. The darkness of exile and uncertainty, the darkness of suffering and waiting. But the Word of God was before them, calling them to trust in him, reminding them of his promises and past faithfulness. And all the unexpected twists and turns of our lives, as painful and as confusing as they might be, all occur under the watchful and loving eye of our God. That's how we have to interpret. That is what this prophecy means. It was hundreds of years from this prophecy to the birth of the Messiah. And it has been hundreds and even thousands of years since then, and this promise hasn't yet fully been fulfilled. And so the call of this passage is faithfulness in a time of waiting, expectation in a God who keeps his promises. Isaiah would later prophesy these words in chapter 33, the Lord is exalted For he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. And he will be the stability of your times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. For the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. When all around them was shaken and uncertain, the Lord came to them and said, Do you know what your stability is? Do you know what your certainty is? It is me. I am the rock on which you are to build your home." I alone am the rock that will not be moved. And so, beloved, as we walk, just as Israel did in the dark and in uncertain times, the Lord calls us to faithfully trust Him. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We are like Israel in that we have received God's good promises, His covenantal marks like baptism, the Lord's Supper. We gather in the Lord's name. We worship Him. And we have the testimony of God's past faithfulness, right? The Exodus, this prophecy Isaiah, but even more importantly, the coming of the Messiah, His his teaching and preaching, His miracles, His death on the cross, His resurrection. We have so much on which we build 
and rest our faith. And yet, we continue to wait for his faithfulness to dawn in our own day, do we not? We wonder sometimes if God will be faithful and keep his promises to us. Or maybe I'm the only one. (laughs) We are tempted daily to grab hold of control and to turn from trust and to crush the people around us. And that anger we feel when we feel out of control. But like Israel, being called to remember the exodus and God's deliverance from Midian, we are called to remember the faithful fulfillment of this very promise. (laughs) A son has been born. A child has been given. And so our faith rests on promises past, promises fulfilled on a good God. Um, A son was given, and his light was the light of the world. And guess what? Guess where he came? Guess where Jesus was born? Guess where Jesus' ministry began? In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Listen to these words introducing Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, has seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you see God's faithfulness? Do you see the fulfillment of a promise made hundreds of years previously? Beloved, what will we do when we feel out of control? and that we are living in a time of uncertainty. Let us put our trust in the God who has been faithful to his people from generation to generation. Far longer than we have been alive, far longer than our faith has been placed in him, he has been the faithful God. Hear his admonition again. Do not call conspiracy what the people call conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will be your sanctuary. Beloved, especially at this time of Advent, let us remember that our God is the one who shines light in the darkness and never leaves his people alone. He is with us. He is with you. When we trust him, he becomes our sanctuary. Just as surely as this promise through Isaiah has come true, so too will all his promises to us who wait patiently for his second advent. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we need this word. Jesus, you said, I am the rock. And you alone are the rock on which we can build our lives. You are the Lord. You are the Holy One. You are Yahweh. You are our God. And we worship you. Settle our hearts, even this morning. 
Give us peace that passes understanding. And even as we look into, into an uncertain future, walking in the dark, let us rejoice and sing of your praises because you are the faithful one. You are the light. We honor you. We lift up your name as holy, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.